talk a little about this because uh, it's, it's really very important to know. Um, because it, it really, in many ways, involves the Eight Sahara. What's the most fundamental psychological drive? that a human being has. Actually, all, all organisms have, survival. actually. <coughs> survival. Or, as they call it in psychology, self-preservation. To preserve self, right? That's the most fundamental of all drives, needs, to five. Every single organism, creature, anything, that the Rebunisha made has in it built how to survive. That's why when you look at the animal kingdom, you know, and I include man in the animal kingdom. Uh, anyway, um, each one has the ability to survive. Each one has the wherewithal, the mechanisms of how to survive. It's just astounding the variations of mechanisms, you know. You look at a porcupine, it survives because it's got all these little quills sticking out of it, you know. Then you look at skunks, they survive because you know, they can give forth smells and all that. It's astounding the survival ability. And of course, it's all because of, um, uh, what do you call it, uh, self-preservation. Uh, but, and that, that explains why animals are very territorial. They're very territorial, which means that, you know, they, they claim a territory, and if you can come into it, they will do battle with you. And the reason for that, again, is survival. Because as long as I have my territory, that's where I get my food from. You come and invade it. You're, you're, you know, you're mus you're mus as you're muscling in on my territory, and there you are, and so on. So the the concept of territoriality by an animal, basically, is survival, and the same thing with the human, and so on. However, there is another incredibly fundamental psychological drive, and with that drive, we encounter the concept uh, of the Eight Sahara, how he uses that drive to ensnare us. What is that drive? What's the second most fundamental drive of a human being? It's astounding. And the Torah refers to it, talks about it, you know, uh, not openly, but you see clearly it's referring to that. Uh, <coughs> anybody know? Covered. Covered. Covered is a drive. Why? What, what's the drive for? That's the question. In other words, a person seeks, by the way, it's, it's a good answer, but you need to go deeper. A person seeks covet. What's covet? Honor. Honor, yes, glory, self-importance, recognition. It's all the concept of covet. Why? Why would a person seek that? In other words, what need is being addressed <coughs> by going after covet? To enhance self. Who? To enhance, I mean, preserve, to preserve self is one thing. To enhance self, that's self, that's what it is. To enhance to self. Enhance self right? What does that mean, enhance self? To make self? it bigger, nicer. <laughs> bigger, nicer. <laughs> no, I mean, metaphorically, I metaphor, metaphorically speaking. Metaphorically speaking. Uh, I don't know if I would say enhance, make it bigger, nicer. <laughs> I would do that by gaining weight, you know, and so on. Ego? Enhancing self. What? Ego? Well, what's ego? Ego means I, the self, the right? But what's the drive? What's, what's the need? You want to feel like someone. Who? You want to feel like a somebody. Very good. A person needs to assert being of self. I am. It's the concept, it's not enhancement. Enhance means to make better. To assert means I am. Maybe I've been better. I am. I've been. I really, I really am. I really am. I exist. You better learn that very quickly. You see, you know? That's the concept of to assert being. We're always trying to convince ourselves to assert, to ensure, you know, in a certain sense, you know, to, uh, to uh, corroborate, you know, that I exist. Even a slave has that? Everybody. Yeah. Because he wants to be the best slave of all. He wants to dominate all the other slaves. 
in, in, in whatever sphere you operate, there's only one thing you're really, in, in many ways, interested. You're interested in survival, and you're interested in asserting or validating that you are. Interesting concept. It is the greatest need after. And not only that, the absence of that, or the deficiency of that, is the root of all mental illness. Yeah, that's what it is. Well, and what's the opposite? So if a person doesn't feel like he's somebody, we're always trying to prove we're somebody. And if we can't prove we're somebody, then we develop what? Depression. Who? Depression. No, you, you develop what's called low self-esteem, an inferiority complex. You know what I'm saying? That's what happens. Where does another fit into that? Oh, wait, forget humility. Put that aside. Mm. What's the difference between inferiority and humility, right? Oh, put that aside for a minute, right? First, I have to explain this. So, therefore, <coughs> we are always, man seeks to always assert his being, <coughs> to reassert his being, to convince himself that I am. We do that by what? By being accepted, being recognized, being honored. In the end, I'm somebody. See, if I was nobody, people don't honor nobodies. You know what I'm saying? And so on. <coughs> the pursuit of ego, um, fulfillment, is the greatest psychological need of all. Okay? And the absence of that, as I said, is the underlying reason for all uh, emotional disturbances. Psychosis, neurosis, character disorders, you name it. That's the bottom line of everything. That's why it's so important when you raise kids. You need to give them a feeling of that they are somebody. You do that, of course, by showing them you love them, you hug them, you kiss them, right? You praise them, you give them confidence. All of it is nothing more than the fact that you want to transmit to them that they are somebody and that they can actually go about doing the business of life. Too much of that is a problem too. Right? Well, I'm not talking about the extreme, you know, and so on, you know. But even the extreme is usually a, it's a disturbance. Because that's a, an attempt to compensate for that if you're nobody. So therefore it becomes an egomaniac or megalomaniac or egocentric and egotistic or egoistic. They all mean by there's something different. Give <laughs> them to an egoist and egotist. Egocentric, megalomaniac. There's a difference between them. Put that aside. Anyway, um, so that's very fundamental. Okay? Now, why do we have, so why do we have this? So this is what's called a psychological need to assert or to reassert that we are somebody. But when you really think about it, it makes no sense. Why do I have to prove I'm somebody? Why? I mean, I am somebody. You know what I'm saying? <coughs> you know, I, I, I could, if I was a nobody, how would I exist? So the real question is, why do I always feel like I'm a nobody? Why do I have to assert my being? What's the logic of this? You see what I'm saying? There is, But, a, there is underlying problem. What? Obviously, there is underlying problem. Somewhere. Well, that's the problem here. Why does a person have to feel like he's somebody? He is somebody. Obviously, he's not a nobody, you know. But there are people walking around that feel like they're nobodies. But now we all feel like we're nobodies, and that's why we're always trying to reassert our being. We always try to convince ourselves with somebody. Obviously, because we all feel like nobodies. That's because we're dealing with other somebody. Wait, 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 wait. Not about the somebody. There's almost somebody that nobody here. Existential anxiety. Wait, 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 wait. There's too much talking here. Too many ideas being thrown out, especially from a whole bunch of nobodies. Okay. That was a joke, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> What was that? Who? Covered, yeah. You're getting affirmations from external beings. So is this our drive for this, even though we are somebody, is it to encourage community and sociability? How much will they know? We have to interact with each other. <laughs> well, are you answering something? What are you doing? I don't know. Oh, okay. No, no, he, no, he, he, he's answering. I was right. Nobody there. No, no, he's answering. What is it? I don't no, know. He's not saying. He's not about somebody. Okay. So, in other words, we are somebody, but I want co I want you to affirm me. I feel better. If you don't affirm me, I feel worse. Is this to encourage interaction, sociability, or community? 
So we're not just islands to ourselves. Actually, guessing. Okay, that that's a very good thought that you just said. One can surmise, or one can say that maybe the drive to feel like somebody in the end is survival. Why? Because I can't survive on my own. You know, I can't go shopping and cooking and working and make my clothing. I can't do this all. I gotta be certain on everybody else. You know what I'm saying? So therefore, it's survival. So I have to gain a certain sense that, you know, recognition, so you guys will do what I want, you know? And so on. But really, it's not that. It, it, you know, it's the need for ego assertion is not necessarily for survival. There's something about us that feels inferior. And therefore, we need to be convinced. And in many ways, in a certain sense, it's a lifelong process. You know, we hope our parents will convince us because they love us. If they love us, what does that tell me? I'm somebody because my parents wouldn't love a nobody. You know what I'm saying? So clearly, I'm somebody, you know? If they talk to me, I feel like somebody, you see? So, like I say, the logic is, why do we always have to feel this way for? Because we really are, the reality is we are somebodies. Ah, uh, you know? So, therefore, you have to say, the, the, uh, the, so the question is, what's the origin of, of, of the uh, need for self-respect or, you know, self-image, self-concept, whatever it is? What is the need for that? So, the truth is, is that, in a certain sense, you know, when we are born, we're born as infants. We're really born as infants, right? And what does that mean? That means we intuitively know that we're zero. <coughs> We can't survive. An infinite, no, infant, infant knows that it is helpless completely. So with that helplessness comes a feeling of incredible lack of, uh, of, uh, uh, of um, awareness that it is somebody. You know, the problem is we don't seem to grow out of this. You know, it means we get older, but somehow it doesn't leave us. We still feel like we're nobody. We always need to be reassert. We need to feel, right, that I'm somebody, and so on. We just never grow out of this, and so on. And, 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 and the, almost all human activity is almost always directed <coughs> to feel like a somebody. Even somebody pursues money. It's survival, true, <coughs> wealth, but it's also like I'm somebody, you know. That's why people need plaques on the wall, so that people recognize and say, oh, he's Khashiv, you know. That's why I need guys, guys need Kamishi and Shul. You know, he feels he's somebody. You know, it's almost everything we do in the end is to feel like I'm somebody. Anyway, and this is what's called an eternal pursuit. An eternal pursuit, whatever. But there's also something else. There's an existential, there's a psychological inferiority where a person never felt he was somebody. Let's assume a person had parents who were very abusive to the child. They put him down all the time. Well, clearly, he's going to grow up feeling like nobody. He's going to have a terrible sense of self-image, uh, of self-respect, you know, and so on. Because why? Because he's been told that you're a nobody. And there are many ways of telling a kid you're nobody. You know, abuse is one. Rejection is another. Neglect is another. You neglect the kid, then the kid feels like a nobody because obviously I must be a nobody or else if I was somebody, he would neglect me. There are all kinds of ways that a person can feel that he's really basically nobody. We're, but we're always trying to prove as a result of that that we're somebody. So you have a psychological, and it becomes a disturbance. So psychologically, a person can feel really like a nobody, and so on. Then there's physically, because a person, like I say, is, is born as an infant, and intuitively an infant knows that it is helpless, utterly helpless, and so on. So a, a child is always trying to gain the sense that he's somebody, certainly in the sense that he's adequate, that he can deal with life, you know. But there's also <coughs> something else which is very interesting. And we get now more into the Ramchal. The Ramchal takes in a Shama, which is connected to the Ramchal. That's really how it starts, you know. You know, we, we, it, before we were born, the first time, we were all connected to the Ramchal. That's where we were. And we, we, we basked so, so, uh, uh, in his, in his, image, in his uh, presence. All of a sudden, the Rebbe says, okay, you're going down. Down? Where are you sending me? Right? 
So he takes us away from what's called the Makor HaChayim, from being connected to the infinite. And he sticks us into a human body. And all of a sudden, we are completely limited by the abilities of that body. You know, because the Shoma in and of itself is incredible intellect. You know, the problem is, in, in terms of its intellectual powers, its ability to perceive reality, its strength and so on, it, 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 uh, it's greater than Malachim. But the problem is, once you're connected to the human body, all of a sudden you lose all that. Then your intelligence in the Shamas is the only intelligence that your body has. So if, God forbid, a kid is retarded, Down syndrome or whatever, then the Shama cannot think more than the Down syndrome <coughs> kid or the retarded kid. It is limited, totally, by the body that it inhabits. Terrible. But what's really bad about this is that the Shama is no longer, so to speak, connected to the Baruch Islam. It's gone. So what develops is very it's interesting. Not connected at all. What's that? It's not connected at all? Or no. <laughs> well, it, it, it cannot in any way marvish that it is. You know? I mean, we're always connected to God. That's what we know about, you know? And so on. So what happens is that the Shoma develops what's called an existential inferiority. It is a feeling of inferiority of, in terms of existence. It's not psychological. It's not learned or experienced because of the physical body. Existentially, all of a sudden, it feels unbelievably uh, inferior. As if I'm nobody, because if you separate a person from the Makoa Chaim, from the source of life, right? Automatically, if you win, whatever happened to me? So therefore, the existential inferiority creates what's called a pursuit of self-assertion. Within the is always trying to assert itself. Now, why did the Bershom do that? Why would he want to do that? And so on. Because clearly the Muslim knows that if he takes the Neshama and he inserts it into a body, that's what's going to happen. You see, the ego is always going to try to prove that it is somebody. You see, why did God do this? Otherwise it would give into the eight summer. Was that? Otherwise it would give into the eight summer. Otherwise, what does that mean? It would go after its uh, animalistic tendencies. No, well, no, no, it's not so no. My question is, why would the Bonshan purposely set up a situation in which an individual will feel existentially threatened? Its own existence is threatened because it is now no longer connected to the Bonshan. <coughs> and the answer is to create a conflict. That's what he wants. It's a setup. The Bonsham wants us to feel that way. And that creates an incredible conflict. What is the conflict? The conflict is that I'm always trying to assert being. You see. My being. What does that mean? Well, if you think about it, what does a mitzvah do? Let's take a little sauce. Okay? Where the Roshim says, don't eat food which isn't kosher. It's a lot. Yes? In the Torah. And you're walking on, you know, you're in midtown Manhattan. And because, you know, you were very busy all day, you didn't eat anything. In fact, you ran out of the house, you didn't eat any breakfast. Right? And it's now five o'clock. And you are absolutely starving. And you're in the business district or whatever, and you smell food. Some incredible steak you smell. Please do not salivate now. Delete. <laughs> <laughs> you guys went to steak, you know. Anyway, and you begin, you know, then you smell this food. Right. It's just incredible. <coughs> and, 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 it's what? Smith and Walensky, right? That's, uh, yeah. And, uh, you know, and, and it, it pushes some people faint, you know. It's like, the, you know, the, there's such a drive, you know. <coughs> and all of a sudden you say, well, I can't go into this restaurant. God said no. The Russian said no, it's a love. Let's pray for whatever, right? And so on, right? And this is an incredible conflict now, you see. So what's the conflict? And then we begin to understand what a mitzvah is. What is the conflict really? Well, it's a conflict of act. Should I go into the restaurant and eat, right? Or should I abstain and not eat? That's a simple conflict of act. You understand? What should I do? But is that the real conflict? Well, it is at a certain level. 
but there's a deeper conflict. What is the conflict? <laughs> Should I go into the restaurant and eat and do what I want to do, my will, or because and, and I have to, and I have a reason for my will because I'm hungry, so I want to eat. Hey, you know, or should I know not eat, listen to God because His will dominates. You see, so ultimately it's not just a clash of actions; it's a clash of will. Interesting, but we can go deeper than that. <clears throat> Why can't you learn that the reason why Hashem made it is because by making a person confused, now he will seek after Hashem. When a person feels he's lost in the forest, he wants to seek after the proper path. How does that manifest itself? Seeking. Well, if the whole purpose is to get reconnected to Hashem, that's why Hashem... But what, what drive do we have? That is the drive that helps us in that direction. It's not ego. What is it? You know what it is? It's meaning. We all inherently pursue meaning. What in the world is life all about? And people do everything for meaning. They climb mountains, you know, they build things, you know. We're always seeking meaning. Now, if we're seeking meaning, what does it make us? I think I spoke about this. It's the concept of bikush. You become a mavakesh. You seek. You know, if a person is true and honest to himself, he will always be a seeker. What is he seeking? Meaning. What's important? What makes sense? Why am I here? And hopefully, once he has that drive to seek meaning, he will seek meaning and... What's the next thing he must seek? Who? Beautiful. Say it loud. Truth. truth. That if you seek meaning, means you want, you will seek truth. Exactly. So therefore a person will seek meaning and truth, and if he seeks truth, and he's not biased, remember I said last week, the whole concept of shaykhat, and he doesn't give into his self-interest, you will find God. Basically. But I'm not talking about that end of it. I'm talking now about the concept of ego, and why we feel inferior and so on. And why the Bansham did that? Because what the Bansham, so I'm getting back to the mitzvah. So therefore, you, you, you walk, again, you're very hungry and you've got this restaurant and so on, right? So the first conflict is the conflict of act. Should I, should I not eat in the restaurant? Second conflict is the concept of will. Well, I, I want to eat because I want to do what I want to do, you know? Or then, I don't want to eat there because God said no and His will dominates. So it's a clash of will, which expresses itself as a clash of act. Or, no. Some deeper. Should I eat in a restaurant? Because I want to do what I want. Because I exist independent of God, and I have my own will. Well, nay. I shouldn't eat, because His will dominates. Why? Because He's really the only thing that exists. <clears throat> so it's interesting that every mitzvah is really an expression a potential aidus. When you go and do something, you're really testifying something about what? About who you really are, you see. Therefore, the ultimate conflict is always what? Who is the boss? And do I exist independent of God? And if I could do whatever I want, which happens to be this act, because I'm hungry, and that pushes me to the act. Or, no, I exist... Uh, uh, you know, I, that only God is, and therefore only His will really is, and therefore I will do His will. So it's funny, every mitzvah ultimately, or any commandment that is contrary to my desires or wills and so on, will always force me to testify. What do I believe about myself, and what do I believe about the Rabbanu Shalom? It's interesting. Oh, wait, wait, wait. So the eight Sahara in a certain sense, you know, besides creating the, the drive of hunger and, and, you know, production and so on and so forth, which we talked about last time, the Eight Sahara is always trying to get us to what? Existential <coughs> conflicts. To, to say what? Produce. <laughs> I am somebody, you know, and th that's ultimately why we do almost everything. It's always to assert being, to prove that I'm somebody. 
And the Sultan is always going to say, come on, go, of course go in the restaurant. You're also somebody. I'll show God who he is. You know, you don't say that verbally, but when you do something, then automatically you are convincing yourself that you're somebody. So how does this... Wait, wait, wait. So here's a joke. We need a joke now. Got a joke? Joke is, there are two ways of expressing it. Gaivo arrogance. What is arrogance, really? What does it mean to be arrogant? Arrogant is the assertion that I am somebody. But, wait a minute. Well, isn't that self-respect? Yes. But when you feel you're somebody, when you're really not what you think you are, that's arrogance. Arrogance is a distortion of self vis-a-vis reality. I can feel I'm somebody. Moshe Abedu felt he was somebody. He didn't have any problems with that. You see, why? Because he is somebody. There was no distortion of self. But when a person says, I am somebody independent of God, you know, or I am really somebody, that I exist independent of God, that's gaiva. You see. So, of course you can have self-respect. It means, I am, of course I am, because God made me an I am. He made me, so of course an I, I am. That's fine. But when a person says, I am, really am, and so on, because I exist independent of God, and so on, and I'm great, and so on and so forth, that's a distortion of reality. And this is the reverse of the same, which answers your question. Sorry. It reverses, uh, reverses your question. What's it between humility and inferiority? It's the reverse. Humility is really, I'm nobody. Really? Why? Because if the Muslim didn't think of me from nanosecond to nanosecond, I would instantly evaporate. I would just disappear. So really I'm nobody. That's the reality. Right? That's humility. Inferiority is, let's say a guy is a brilliant thinker. Well, I'm stupid. That's not reality. Because God made me smart. You see, a guy can say, hey, I'm brilliant. Why? Not because I am brilliant, because I exist independently and brilliant, because God gave me brains. So I'm brilliant. Then he happened to be, you know, when it came out to my portion, he gave me a nice handout, you know, of intelligence and so on. So a guy says that to himself, and it's true. He is brilliant. But he ascribes his brilliance, not because he is somebody, because the emotion gave him that. That's what humility is. So inferiority is when a person denies what he really is. That's what inferiority is. When a guy who has a good cop says, I'm an idiot, that's, a, that's inferiority. Is that sick. That's an emotional disturbance, you see. But if a guy says, you know, uh, what do you call it? Uh, I'm fabulous. Not because I'm fabulous, I'm nobody. Because the motion made me fabulous. So I admit, I acknowledge his gift. That's humility. See the difference? So, the, the, the perception of self, if it's a distortion, either where I deny who I am, or I distort in a greater way who I am, that's gaiva and uh, what do you call it? Uh, and uh, and um, inferiority. See? But if I admit who I am, but I do not ascribe that property or feature that I have or attribute, not to myself but to Bosham, then that's either self-respect, which everybody must have or you can't function, and that is also humility, which is, in other words, if you want to translate it, humility or humbleness, right, is the translation of the concept of Enoid Mufandali. That's what it is. <coughs> Where a person recognizes that whatever I am has nothing to do because I am because I'm really zero. The bunch made me that way. He made, you know, like he make a robot. Well, you know, uh, you know I'll, I'll, I'll put in the robot whatever I want. So the robot, so to speak, will always acknowledge that it is nothing. It was made, but it was made according to the specifications of the, of the creator, you know. So that's the difference. So if a person denies the reality of who he is, right, that's inferiority. That's a disturbance. But if he says, of course I'm brilliant, I'm great, I'm socially adept, whatever, and so on and so forth, you know, but I, not because I am somebody, because that's what the Lord made me, that is humility, and the vice versa.
So how much of that is conscious thought versus conditioning? What do you mean? Would everybody, does everyone have a choice to either be, uh, have humility or sure. to be gaiva or is it conditioning? No, it's, you have a choice, of course. It's, you need to recognize the differences, but of course, you tell, let's say you have your kid, you know, and say, listen, you're a bright kid, you know, don't let it go to your head, you know, it's not because you are bright, because you're somebody special, because the Bunshin gave you these kirkas. When you acknowledge that God gave me these gifts and abilities, that's incredible. That's not gaiva. That is, uh, you know, self-respect, which a person has to have, or else he doesn't function, you see. Uh, so that, that's a very important idea. What was that? Too often there's too much dysfunction, and the smart kid's told they're not smart, or the kid who's arrogant because you said, oh, you're the whole big world and everything. They're depending. I'm just saying nurturing uh, probably has a lot to do with it, but I don't yeah. know if you agree with that. I respect what you have to say. Yeah. That says, Yeah, because he holds himself to be, he holds himself to have a mockum. If you got a mockum, I can't get into your mockum. He has a place, says I. Knows I have a place, which means I'm somebody, you know. So if that's the case, then you and I can't live in the same place because I cannot invade your illusion space. You know what I'm saying? Oh, wait, wait, what? I, I, I tell you this joke. What's the difference between a Chosid Balgaiva and a Litvish Balgaiva? I didn't tell you the joke yet. You're laughing. No, it's a Chilk already makes it. Yeah. You know what a Litvish guy you know, you know, What's the difference between a Yeshivish Balgaiva, Litvish, you know, Yeshivish, right, and a Chasidish Balgaiva? How do they express their arrogance? You know, the, and so on, you know, self-importance, you know. So a literature guy is going to say, Er is Epis, he's somebody. I'm an aggressive Epis in Yiddish. I'm a bigger somebody. But a Hasidish guy, he won't do that. He'll say, I'm a nobody. But he, he's a bigger nobody. <laughs> <laughs> you see, it's all relative. <laughs> That's the difference, you know. But they're both bad guys. You know, they both have these incredible conceit. They're conceited and haughty and so on. It's just that each one has a different way of expressing it, that's all. So don't get fooled. Because he said, when a guy says, uh, I'm nobody, what about you? He's really nobody. He's really nobody. You know, don't get fooled by that, you know. What was that? No, the, with regard to the Yitzhahara, what, after the past, this year and last year, Last year we said that BSR really essentially is the drive, is produced by the drives of the person. Yeah, but what I'm focusing on now... My, my question is, and, that, and now we have a new thing where, where he races on the person to try to get him to focus on the, the fact that he is somebody. Yeah, correct. Or, or the illusion that he is somebody. It's a different, what he wants to do, eh? He wants to throw, because that, that what the motion wants, the ultimate idea is that the motion wants you to contend with this conflict. Who do you think you are really? Is it you or me? Who's the real, you know? And that, that's why Anivas in the end is the greatest attribute of all. How do we know that? Because if you look at Messiah Sishon. Yeah, well, okay, but if you look at Messiah Shinon, Messiah Sishon, the last chapter fundamentally is Anivas. But why? And on the, when you're on, why was Anivas the last? Because ultimately, Anivas is the understanding or the translation, right, or the expression in behavioral, in, 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 in uh, conceptual terms of Eina Novata. It's really what it is, you see. And therefore, the contest is who's the boss? Is it me or is it God? That's, we always have that conflict. Now, to show you where you see it in the Torah, what the Moshim says, Yishomelecho, watch yourself, Pentishkach, that you're going to forget me. What does that mean? What does that mean, forget me? So the Moshim says, okay, you're going to eat, and satiate it, right? What does it say? Ubayis Tivne, you can build houses. I need to, 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 I
Amazing how the Possig says it. And we just run over that person. <coughs> Here is it. Yishomelecho, watch yourself, guard yourself. Lest you forget the Lord your God. The vilti shmur mitzvah not to observe his commandments, mishpatav, vichukaisav. Asharich mitzav chayom. Zabashim is saying, be careful that you won't observe any of my commandments. How? Pentoicho vesavotam. Lest you eat and be satiated. And build beautiful houses. And you're going to multiply a tremendous amount of bok and soin, which is possessions. And you're going to increase enormous amount of wealth, gold and silver. What's going to happen? And your heart will grow. High, elevated, and therefore, you forget God that took you out of the land of Egypt, and so on. What is this? So, what the Mansion is saying that what? What is ultimate? What is That's the conflict. Your heart will grow, you know, high and right, and you're going to forget God. Why? Because you're going to really say, It's me, I'm somebody, I exist independent of you. Why should I listen to you? But what the Banshim is also saying, something very interesting, how do you develop that? So, the first thing is, you know, you're not an arrogant person, you just enjoy life, you know? I want to eat, I want to satiate myself. What do you mean you want to satiate yourself? Right? Because, how do we grow, how do we develop a feeling, in many ways, of self? Well, one, is we engage in pleasure. When you engage in pleasure, there are two things happening simultaneously. One is you're, you're experiencing the pleasure. The second thing that happens is since you are experiencing the pleasure, you feel like somebody. Second idea of how you gain a sense of self is you do what? You build houses. Productivity. When a person is productive, he says, you see what I am? I can produce. I can create. What's a third way of gaining a sense of self? Possessions. When you own a lot of stuff, you feel good. Why? Why does owning a lot of stuff make you feel good? Because it gives you greater control. And the more control you have over things, the more you better you feel about yourself. It's all ego. And then money. Why does wealth make you feel great about yourself? Because it's the closest thing to feeling like God, omnipotent. The more money you have, the more things you can do, right? And therefore, I feel great about myself. In other words, the sense of self that a person seeks all the time, that he's somebody, is by these four ideas. Pleasure, okay, productivity, possessions, and money, which is potency. Four Ps. And all of them give you a sense of self. And the Bonsham says, so what's going to happen? You're going to gain a sense of self from all these four things, right? And what's going to happen? And you're going to feel like you're really somebody, and your heart will grow. Wow, I'm somebody. You see, so Bonsham is saying to you that if you engage in these four things, it's very easy to get carried away and feel like you're somebody. Why? Because we're always seeking to feel like somebody. That's the problem. And that's ultimately why there are different levels of feeling like somebody. The, the, the worst level of all is what's called a megalomaniac. It's a megalomaniac where nothing exists but me. Those are the Roman emperors, Stalin. These guys were megalomaniacs. Of course they recognize that there are other beings around, but they're ants. They're worms. It's basically me, and that's it. That kind of a person all actually is being considered psychotic. 
and they, they are capable of unbelievable evil. The second level of gaiva is egocentric, where, of course, you guys exist, but you all guys exist to serve me. I'm the center. Bishwilin Nivra Oilam is taken literally, right? Yeah, of course you guys, but you're, you only exist because of me. You need to serve me. I need to give a share. So you guys need to be here in order for me to give a share. That's egocentricity. I'm egocentric. That's gaiva. You see. Then the third level of gaiva, and I'm going down, is called superiority. You're not here to serve me. You know, we're all somebodies, but I'm greater than you. That's superiority. Then the fourth level of gaiva, which most people do not even recognize as gaiva, yet it is, is what's called, you know, <coughs> it's the concept of, well, no, I, you guys exist, one, you guys don't exist to serve me, there's two, right? You guys are not inferior to me, so those three are out, you know? But it's a concept of, well, I'm somebody. If I want to do it, I can do whatever I want, you know? I want to, I want to engage in pleasure. I want to do pleasure because I am also. It's a subtle form of gaiva and people don't realize that it is gaiva really. To, to want to engage in something because you want to engage is this most subtle form of gaiva and most people do not recognize it as arrogance. You see? Because ultimately you have to say, well, if I want to engage in pleasure, it's only because the Bonisham put it here, maybe he wants me to feel good about myself, to have a hachov sadas, and therefore I, some, every once in a while I've got to experience some pleasure. You see, it's, you know, it's ultimately speaking, the Bonisham pits you against himself. Who is it? You are God. Do we rebel? So ultimately, a man is always put into the position where he can rebel against God. Murid, you see. And what does it is because he's very in inferior. Once we have that feeling of inferiority, we're always seeking to be like somebody. And that automatically is going to put us in conflict with the Barshan. You see. And the Yetzirah knows that. So he's always going to convince you, hey, come on. Somebody, what? You are somebody, you know? And therefore you could do whatever you want. So Yetzirah is not only, so therefore, you, what, do you, what do you want? So the Taivas give you direction of the want. Because I have a Taiva. So therefore I know what I want. Now I want to show that I'm somebody, so I will engage in my Taiva. See, the Taiva or the wants is a Hechitimza of how I can express a sense of self. Okay. And that is gaiva, at the lowest form. It's very subtle. You understand what I just said? All the desires and the wants right, that I have is nothing more than a hechitimsa, means it's a wherewithal that I, I can express a certain being or confirm being that I'm somebody. It's interesting. Because I want a confirmed being, but I don't want anything. No. The worship does, he creates the Yetzirah that gives you wants. And it is through those wants that I'm able to say I'm somebody by engaging in those wants. You see, that's the subtle message that that does for you. That's why when you look at tzaddikim, you read it's real tzaddikim, as they say, the real McCoy, and so on, you know, you'll always find that there are incredible, humble people that whatever do, they do is always rachana bari. You know, it's, I want to do this, but it's not because I want to do it. It doesn't make me feel I'm somebody, you know, I'm still nobody. But the bunch wants me to do it to be able to eat, to be able to whatever, survive, have a little pleasure in life in order to have a chovas adas, because you can't do anything if you're depressed and so on and so forth, you know. That's why. You know, it's, a tzaddik is, a, if you want to look at it, a true tzaddik is the personification in behavioral terms of Enid Mubadoy. That's really what it is. He's a living expression of Enid Mavadeh. He's a behavioral expression of Enid Mavadeh. Because whatever he does is always for Rotsanapurai. Even when he eats, it's always Rotsanapurai. That's very hard to achieve. You know? So, therefore, what I'm saying is that there are two things going on. You know? There's all the drives, but behind all the drives, which is Yetzirah, there's also the need to assert 
or to confirm being, you see. And we use all our wants to confirm the being. So it's when you eat something, it's not just the pleasure you're having from the food, let's say. It's also you're exercising will. And that convinces you that you are somebody. Is that really that's, fueling the drive? What was that? Which is really fueling the drive? The pleasure? It doesn't fuel, it f satisfies the drives. It, the drive is automatic. You don't fuel it, you don't create it, it's there. Is it stronger? It doesn't have a stronger drive he, because he wants to have that recognition of self? He could have a stronger drive because of psychological inferiority. Mm -hmm. As if he was abused greatly. So not only does he have an existential inferiority, which is what I mentioned first, but he has psychological inferiority because he was taught to believe that he's a nobody. So his drive to feel like somebody's even greater, you know, by many orders of magnitude. And these are the guys that, um, you know, just hard to be with. These guys are terrible people to talk with or to be with because they're always, you always get the feeling that, you know, they're always trying to put you down or to try to make, you know, they're always trying to convince you that, you know, you know who you're talking to? You know, when you ever meet these guys, you know, it's very hard to be around them because, you know, especially if you feel, you know, who you're talking to, because then there's a real conflict here, you know, and so on, you know. But um, there's a lot of people like that. They make you very nervous. Mm -hmm. They're also, in many ways, they're very threatening because they, they're, they're, always, they're always, you know, it's the business of self-assertion, right? It's 24-hour business by these guys. You know, they just never stop. Most people are more subtle about that. But remember, in everything you do, if it's not a recognition of Rotsan Haboyre, somehow it's a self-assertion of being. And that's what Rosh says. What do you mean, Vavram Lovecha? All I'm eating is getting, I'm getting satiated. Why would the Rosh say, okay, I understand why I get carried away because I built, you know, I built something. Or I have a lot of money. Or a lot of possessions. But why in the world would I get carried away with myself because I'm eating and I'm satiated? Yerikasha. Well, why would that be Ramal Vecham? And the answer is because in every single thing we do, we always use it as a mechanism, as a device, as a tool, as an instrument, as a wherewithal to assert or confirm being. That is the beginning of the Ramlibovechom. And the Aitzahar knows that. He goes right to you and says, Hey, hey, come on, you want to kind of feel like somebody, you know? So what he's trying to do is get you to think you're somebody. That's gaiva, even at the level of eating and being satiated by that. Very subtle. Yitzhar himself, last week we said he was more or less almost a product of, of the drives, of the physical tribes, whatever that means. Well, the is drives he, he provide you the wants, is he, but is, the ego... The drives themselves, the drives themselves, plus the, 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 both the physical drives and the mental drives of wanting to be... Somebody, yeah, it seems to me parv because they really come from a where Kash Baruch will put you in a situation. Yeah, well, parv, I don't know what's my problem. Meaning, it's not the Yitzhar is the one who takes it and, and pits you against the Bore in a certain, in a certain sense. But he offers you the option of pitting you against the Bore, but he drives themselves, but he doesn't seems create, like inherent to you. He the, the Yitzhar creates the drive of wants, but he doesn't necessarily create the, the psychological drive of. Of so he creates the, the, he creates the physical drives of, let's say, wants and needs. Yeah. But but he's like, fine. So let's take that for a second. Why is it called ra if a person has to eat to survive? I might say he needs that. It's not called ra. It's when a person uses eating to feel like he's somebody. But let's say he negate the fact that in the So the only reason he in that so really is only one. one I don't know if I would call it evil, but it's clearly an, it's a, it's a mistaken thinking. And we engage all the time in that mistake. But let's say that we are somebody. It, even if it is evil, he's. In other words, you have this drive. The drive itself doesn't seem to be evil because it's a drive to survive. Yeah, it's fine, exactly. But so, but he takes that drive and sort of pushes it to the extreme, so that you will either you give it to your times where Shem said no, or assert yourself, whatever, yeah, well, whatever he, rod is. He will always present it as a conflict. In a certain sense, he was always his the Eitzel will always present it as an opportunity. To assert yourself. So basically, it's and a that shot. ultimately is a distortion of reality because you are zero, right. really, any And he will always use, he's always constantly putting you in a, an opportunity to assert being. So basically, we always, we, we, we were put in a situation where we both had the, where we, where we have certain deficiencies <coughs> that gave us, 
and he uses he comes the sultan comes down and uses stuff to put us against the Kaddish Prophet. That's yes, what it is. yeah, yeah, that's what he does. Because in the end, you know, right. what what is it in the end that the Russian wants you to be? Ainu Mavanta. That, that's really in the end right. what he wants. Right. You know, in other words, he wants you to know, and that's ultimately what he wants in terms of the reality that you need to know. Right. You fundamentally or existentially are zero. It's even worse. You don't even exist after he created you. I mean, you really want to get in for your conflict. So here it goes. You know, you know no, we, we are zero. You don't realize we don't exist at all, really, except in his mind or however he made us. You know, we, we are so impotent. We are so zeros, right, that, that even a zero can't contempl contemplate that it's a zero. Right. You know, it's all him. But we don't realize that. And he gave us all kinds of illusions to think that we're somebody. But ultimately, the Russian wants you to have that idea. Right. And the Sutton is always trying to get you or give you opportunities that you are somebody. He himself feels that he's the angel of the Exactly. He himself suffers under the illusion. That's the Marita of the Sutton. So I'm not getting into it. A lot of physic literature and shiurim say, yeah. Daven to Hashem for whatever you want. He loves you. If you want your baseball team to win, Daven to If you want... Yeah, that doesn't mean he's going to make your baseball you team win. Go? No, no, because he may be a different fan. I mean, you're a Yankee fan, but you forgot that he's a Met fan. So I have to go liar. But whatever you want, is Hashem loves you like a father. So how do you avoid crossing that line of that subtle selfishness or whatever? You know, uh, it's they tell you, Daven Hashem, you can be. You want a nice watch? Go ahead, everybody wants you to have it. No, but the fact that you pray to him automatically, you're admitting that I. I can't do anything by myself, oh, you know. Oh yeah, should that? Why? Do you, why does God want you to daven all the time or pray? Because no. To realize that everything is from Him. Exactly, and How therefore you come close to him. to him. Coming close to Him is a consequence, but the act of tefillah in and of itself is a recognition, or actually, it's an acknowledgement, which is a better word. That ain't mavante because what are you asking him for? And we don't just ask him. By the way, send me a Toyota. You know, I, I need a Lexus. You know, no, no, right? Well, it's not that, that he, he wasn't God as a car dealer. No, no. What we what we ask is, give me life, give me health. I mean, these are so fundamental. Nobody can give you. So it clearly is an understanding that we acknowledge that he, it's it's all about him, and it's everything is all about him. That's the so ultimate in the Mavada. The difference between wanting houses and co is if you bypass Hashem, Chasuchon, then it's wrong. Then it's ego sent. It's it's in the realm of ego. Yeah, it's the realm of ego. Yes. If you him in the formula, yeah, it makes it more. You know, yeah, more I mean, you, you know, and, and look, the other thing is, you could be honest. You could say, look at Moshe, you know, give me a Lexus because I need to, I need to wow everybody. You know, I realize it's wrong, and I really shouldn't do this. But listen, never. It's my Yetzirah. Help me do this. Sounds funny. It sounds like the one who said, what are you, out of your mind? <laughs> but believe it or not, Moshim is not out of his mind. Moshim is saying, as long as you're honest and you know that, hey, I got a Yetzirah. You know, I got to make him happy so he doesn't bother me all the time, right? But Moshim may, may do it. He may say, okay. You admit it, but you admitted that it was wrong. You know, you admitted that I can give it to you. And you admit that Nebuch, you also sometimes have to do the eight hours bidding. Okay, I'll, I'll, I'm still your father. I'll be mischassed with you. I'll do it. The Bosh was that type of a being. Because the key in the end isn't the chet. It's the fact that if you sin, you think you're somebody and you have an independent will. That's the bad news. You see, the guy can say, listen, I'm about to do an Avera, and I rush, I know it's wrong, I feel terrible, but I can't control my typist or whatever it is. You know, I mean, at whatever level, forgive me. And guess what? He will forgive you. Because in the end, he wants you to understand the reality. I am, you ain't. And if you understand that, I can deal with that. Because we know that as long as you know that, ultimately you will go over your Yetzirah. I mean, because it's a process. And right now, guys, said, listen, right now at the level, I'm at the first rung, I can't do this. And the bunch of them say, okay, I'm patient. You know, as long as you got the major message. You using your formula, asking Hashem for Alexis or, or some type of be fulfilled, you're, you're going to end up with 
the pleasure, the drive being filled, but not the sense of self. Correct, exactly. You have removed the major ingredient of what the Sutton wants you to know, which is, you are somebody, because you're driving a Lexus. This is the mistake we all make, you see? Now, I'm not telling anybody now to go out and pray for Alexis. Nothing <laughs> wrong, you know, you know, and so on and so forth. No, no. But I'm just saying the key ingredient in the in the in the chet <clears throat> is your understanding that he's somebody. You see, that's the key ingredient that the Bhagavad does not want you to understand or to believe. You need to correct that. That's the key ingredient. You don't realize that. In the end, who do you think you are? Do you think you're somebody? You acknowledge I'm everything. Except you never admitted that, I got a Sahara, listen, you know, I, I just can't control it and so on and so forth. In the end, that vidui, that, 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 uh, so to speak, that inyad mavadoi, in the end, that's what the Marshall wants. That's really what he wants. That's the key conflict or the key victory. As long as you don't allow it to build your ego in a distorted way, you've won. In many ways, you've won. Even if you are now choyte. Because the Bashan knows, listen, you know, it's a long step to, people spend their whole lives fighting Yetzirah. You know, and how many guys never win? You know, so the key is, is, is you, the key of the battle is, don't distort who you are. Even if you're about to engage in an action that clearly says you're somebody, but if you say, I'm not that, the Bashan is okay, I can live with that. And then I'll help you overcome the Yetzirah. Listen, that's what the Bosham does. As it says, the Mole, you know, if the Bosham is very old, the Bosham didn't help you, he'll kill us all. The definition of a healthy ego, now that we covered the other... The, uh, that is a spiritual ego. Spiritual. That's what the... Uh, and then, ultimately, that, that's true on Evis. <coughs> that's true on Evis. And that's the greatest of all attributes. That's why it's at the end of Mesilas Hashan. So, and that's the focus of the Sultan. The focus isn't the Taiva. People make that mistake. The focus is not, come on, do it, you know, eat, you know, whatever and so on. So no. The focus is, you know, what do you think about yourself now? That's his focus. He wants you to distort who you are. You see? And that's the, you know, that instead of Enoid Mavadoi, it's what? Yeshoid Mavadoi. And with the Sutton, that there is somebody else besides God, me. But he even wants Enoid Mavadi. Besides God, but that I'm the only one that exists. That's the ultimate distortion. Now, I was just speaking to someone. That's Mega Man. This is someone related. Ah, Thank you. Pretty close. You took a lot of time. Appreciate. It. I was just speaking to someone tonight, telling me they have a lot of problems, and uh, they don't. They don't deny God, but they're, they don't. They're drifting from what we believe. They're, they're saying, "Why is God doing this to me?" Well, that's the old story. Yeah. They're really having an issue. I can't help. So that's also a Yetzirah thing, I guess, to, to be angry at God. Oh, yeah, well, to reject the Hashgokha. Well, that, that's, that, you know, today's Pasha. Yeah, what, it, really what is today's Pasha? I mean, we have a Pasha Shmois, right? What much are being done? All of a sudden, Paris said, hey, you guys, are, you guys are lazy. Not only do you have to make bricks, I'm not even giving you this floor, right? So much are I'm just... Incredible, you know. But there was a reason for that. You know why Bermajim did that? Because he was about to destroy Egypt, but he can't destroy Egypt because the all ones who are guilty of all this is Paroi and his servants and all that, right? Right? But if you're gonna destroy Egypt, you're gonna make everybody guilty. So what he did is they had all the Jews go throughout Egypt because they were looking for straw. And whenever they went in somebody's field, the guy would come out and say, Hey, get off my field! You're no good, whatever, and so on and so forth. So in the end, everybody was chayev. That's why he did it. To Machayev, yeah, we don't realize that was the Cheshman. To Machayev, the home, it's Ryan. So he could destroy them all. Because they could always say, what do you want from me? Because that guy's crazy, he doesn't want to admit that you're God. What are you punishing me for? And you know what happened? You know, frogs, lice, it was all over the whole land of Egypt. Locusts and so on. Yeah, they said that. What? At the end they said that. Uh, all his advisors said, just, just let him go already. I don't get By that. Or is the, that's why no, no, yeah, we, no, okay, we'll forget about it. Yeah. But anyway, was, that's why he did it. But Moshe Rabbeinu didn't know that. It's all part of the Cheshbon, you see. To Machayim the Egyptian, to, to, uh, to make them guilty in terms of what he's about to do. Moshe Rabbeinu didn't, didn't do that, so Moshe Rabbeinu comes run back to, to the Rabbanu and says, Excuse me, what are you doing this evil? Evil? 
interesting. He's characterizing this particular action as evil. And then he says, and what did you send me for? And so on, you know. So Barsham said to him, which is interesting, excuse me, and this is Moshe Rabbeinu, and you know what, we don't, we don't stand him. He's too lofty. You know, we don't, very hard to understand him in human terms. You know, a man who speaks to God thousands of times is unbelievable. We can't even stand once. He did every day, you know, it's beyond belief. It's anyway. So Barsham said, you know, now you'll see what I will do to Parai. And Ato is a meal. Now you'll see, but you won't see what I'll do to the kings of Israel because you will not go into Eretz Israel. Ato was an Oynish. Why? Because you've been Mahara after my Midas. You are questioning my attributes. I am, my attribute is mercy and judgment and justice. And you're saying I did an evil. Oh no. You're not going to have Roma Vino who did not question me when I said, that your descendants will go to Yitzhak, and then I told them, all from the Akedah, right? That's what, so hey, excuse me, it's irrational here. No, Avram didn't question me, right? Did what I said. You're questioning me. You are characterizing my actions as evil. No good. You are being Mahari after my meters. You are questioning my attributes. You're denying my attributes of justice, and so on. So that was an Oynish, whatever, and so on. So that's what this guy's problem. That's part of the problem. You know, you can't be Maharaj so me this. We could say, I don't understand what's going on. To me, it's incredible and so on. But ultimately, you have to say, listen, the version was, it says in the Ha'azino, Sadiq Viyoshahu, you know? I mean, it says in the Tzadik that Russian is righteous and the Tzadik and he's always, uh, uh, he's always uh, straight and so on, that there is nothing in what he does that can be ever considered as unjust. Everything conforms to justice, which is astounding, you know, and, and so on. I mean, that's why ultimately in the end you can walk off the Mershom. And he, it's interesting, that statement says that everything he does is just. That means a guy in the end of his life <coughs> will stand in front of the Kisei covered the Yom HaDemazom. And do you know what they have to do in the end? They have to show that this guy, everything that happened to him was actually the attribute of justice was correct in the eyes of justice, right? If not, if a guy puts his hand in his pocket to come out with a quarter for the meter, and he comes out with a dime, that's not just. Why am I suffering this way? Even though it's minimal. They have to show you even that was the attribute of justice. Because if not, God forbid, then the Torah is a liar. If you can prove anything that the Russian did is not just, well, it can't be Torah. And it means the Torah is lying. Because God is not just. It has... It, 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 well, I'm not going... No, good is a different story. Just means you means A produce B. means everything you did is because of what you did. It's a concept. Justice is what? If you do act A, act B follows. B is always a consequence of A. Whether it be for the good or the bad. That's justice. What you do is what you deserve. No more or less. Then you have other meters. Yeah, things, even if you didn't do it, I'll still give it to you and so on. But that's why. So you can't negate or deny that attribute. And Moshe Rabbeinu did. Anyway, you know, it's all part of the, uh, you know, because you, because you can't, it's not only, it's not that I am and you are not, or I am also besides you. You're everything. And not only that, whatever you say about yourself is true. It's that you have to admit the existence of God and whatever he says about himself. Hashem Elokeichem Emes. Whatever he says about himself, it has to be true. You know, in you know, even to us, we don't understand this. Makes no sense. What's Moshe doing this to me? After all, I'm a tzaddik. I'm a tzaddik. What's he doing this before? You know, so I mean, there's a lot of stuff on this, but that's the bird's eye view. Clarification: We feed our sense of self when we get the right pleasure from something. The what? When we derive pleasure from something, we engage in the pleasures of the world. We, feel, is that we get a sense of self, yeah. Because, because We're exercising being. How, is that because um, I feel alive, because I'm um, yeah. getting that sense? I use the word, we're exercising being. You know, I'm being, being. but I eat, I'm, I'm exercising existence. And therefore, I feel like I exist. Is it also because I gave myself the food, so I'm, I'm able to yeah. give myself that pleasure? Yeah, you have the illusions. Yeah, exactly. I went into the restaurant. I chose wisely 
you know, instead of a full uh, full steak, I made it medium. I ate all, all this kind of stuff. It's my wisdom that I knew exactly, and I had it with grilled onions, which is gewaldic and so on. You know? Right. If, if a person goes, <laughs> okay. if a person goes to the exercise, like the scenario that we the what? With, where where a person says he's about to do a chet, but he recognizes Hashem is Eino Bilvado, and yeah. he just never his under is still not able to conquer the Yitzhahara. Yeah. But it don't in a certain sense don't actions speak louder than words. No. No. Yeah, your actions. Yeah, but it's the hasoga. I'm getting the existential pleasure of, of doing what I want, even though I said. Now, even on of course, you negated some of that by saying it and by really meaning it. But to a certain level, every act is must have intention. If your intent intent is Novante, but your act is connected, it's intention. Okay. Next week will be the final of this uh, season. Mm-hmm.